and welcome to Tremendous Tales with me, Liz Pichon. I write and draw all the Tom Gates books. And in this podcast, I'll be asking my lovely guests some very tricky questions like, what's your favourite snack and how do you eat it? But not necessarily in that order. This is particularly true of my guest today, who is the amazing author and illustrator and hat wearer extraordinaire, Sarah McIntyre. Sarah will be sharing a tremendous tale and a tremendous fail because we all make mistakes. And playing along with our groundbreaking quiz that's gaining more and more fans every week, it's not. (laughs) What's that sound? Sarah says of herself that she is mostly powered by biscuits. Recently, she's been on a roll of books about unicorns, including Grumpy Corn, a picture book about a unicorn with writer's block, and its sequel, Don't Call Me Grumpy Corn. She also co-authors longer books with Philip Reeve about a roly-poly flying pony named Kevin. In the latest, Kevin versus the Unicorns, our absolute unit of a flying pony winds up in a race against some very sleek, very snobby unicorns. He only stays in the race because he is sure the trophy will be full to the brim of biscuits and he hopes with all his heart that they will be custard creams, his all-time favourite. I too love a custard cream, so we have that in common. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah, and thank you so much for coming to have a chat. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Absolute pleasure. I was wondering, I've been watching you doing lots of painting, extra painting. You've been painting some, decorating some shields and trays and other things. And I was just wondering, were you always a creative child then? Yeah, I mean... Kind of not not a good creative child. Like I just I would ma- mash up food on my tray when I was little, and you know make pictures in the mash. But you know they weren't <laughs> good pictures. <laughs> they were just they were ones that I liked, and my mum would say they were nice too. <laughs> exactly, you have to do that. But you've also been, like I said, I've been I've noticing on your your social media, you've been painting different things like shields and trays. Yeah. So did you always? think that you would end up writing books or illustrating books is that something that no. was, you ever thought about no I kind of I, I never thought you could make a living at that I always thought it was um something you know I, I'd have to live with my parents forever if I if I was an artist <laughs> and so um or so I thought I'd probably have to like work in real estate or something <laughs> that I didn't really want to do but um I don't know I just I, I sort of I, I first when I was nine I wanted to be a mermaid and then I wanted to be an archaeologist because I watched Indiana Jones movies mm-hmm. and I thought and, and then I actually went and to a university that had a good archaeology program and I quickly realized I was thinking Indiana Jones and of course he's a tomb raider he's not an archaeologist um so I actually you <laughs> know I really just <laughs> yeah so I didn't really think tomb raiding was in in the line of work and so but actually I realized that what I liked about archaeology was all the really cool pictures on the tomb walls right. and that was really like illustration you know um all these sort of they're like comic books, basically, yes. comic strips. So a lot of these Egyptian hieroglyphics. and Which you also do. You also do comic yeah. strips as well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I was, it was basically that kind of generally led me. But I, I, went, I did a lot of jobs before I did art and illustration. So how did you, do, how did you end up? I'm, I'm just being, you know, obviously interviewing, but being nosy mm-hmm. too. So how did you end up going into books and illustration? What was your pathway? Well, I always loved to read, and I, but I never did sort of funny books or anything because I always thought you had to have a really strong punchline for everything, and I could never think of punchlines. So I thought, well, I could draw, but I was I was studying Russian for my degree at university. Oh, hello. So like, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I quite like studying other languages because you get to travel, and I like travel. And so I got to spend my third year at university in Moscow studying, and wow. they had the most amazing artwork there. I would go to the museums and just be 
bowled over. And you'd go to these house museums where they'd give you these massive slippers that you'd kind of put over your shoes. And then as soon as you took a step back to admire something, you'd accidentally walk out of the slippers and they'd <laughs> yell at you. But um, but there was, this, there was this one house museum near where I was living with my landlady and it was Victor Vosnitsov house. And it had these massive fairy tale canvases that he'd worked on when he was alive. And this kind of fairy tale house he'd built for himself, a little bit Viking almost, mm-hmm. but, but, but in sort of Slavic tradition. And I was just amazed by it. And then the art museum, like the Trejakov and stuff, I'd be going to these thinking, this is amazing. How and old were you when you're doing that then? How, what, uh, about 21 age? to 23. Okay. Yeah, I just sort of thought this would be good. But I went to work for a newspaper because I thought there's more money in writing and words. <laughs> and so I was editing a newspaper, the Moscow Times for a while. Wow. And then finally, I think, what was it? Um, I met my husband, Stuart, there, who was working for the British Embassy. Right. And he brought me back to London when we got married because uh, he had the job and the flat. And I was just a starving university student. <laughs> and, um, and eventually I started taking night classes in illustration and oh. then eventually started doing children's books. But it was kind of a long, I ran an art gallery first for six years with some friends and tried a few things before I actually got but into it. Do you know what's books. so interesting about that? Just showing that there's lots of different pathways to end up doing what you really love doing now, like yeah. making making books and all those other things that you've done along the way have really, they've really kind of like shaped your style, shaped the things that you like. You know, you like, I know you do sort of comic books and things like that. And actually your books are really funny too. So I know you Aww. say you don't like a punchline, but they are really, <laughs> <laughs> I got better good characters. <laughs> <laughs> and also it's, um, I think I'm glad I didn't go to art college right away because I did, when I was 16, I went to visit the local Seattle art college where I grew up and I just there were all these really cool kids and I was a oh. suburban uncool kid and <laughs> didn't like I was I didn't have anything pierced and so um I just felt totally out of it and looking back I just thought I don't have I don't fit in with these people I don't know what I'd say what would I paint and I'm so glad I had kind of 10 years to really get do other things and get some experience so I actually had things to paint and things to talk about yeah so that's kind of my tip actually is maybe don't go straight to art college maybe do something else and so you'll have something to draw and write about yeah that's a great introduction so if anyone's looking at your artwork they know how you started and they they know that there's a different pathway so this is the part of the podcast where we talk about your snack of choice the snack that gets you through gets you through your deadlines so sarah we're going to play this little ident first snack chat so what is your (laughs) snack then sarah Everything. I eat everything. But if I have to pick one for right now, it's probably, I think, a penguin bar. And that's because I, I once had an illustrator from Australia come and visit my studio. Oh, I know you've what you're going to say. You've got, you've got a whole tray full of penguins. I've got a whole, look, Mark, Mark was complaining that I moved them out of his reach. He said, why are you moving them? <laughs> we both got holding the penguins. Oh. I, have a lot of, I have a lot to say about these, but you carry on. They're so lovely. They've got penguins on the front. I mean, for a starter, that's great. But yeah, I had this Australian um, illustrator come visit me at the studio and she brought these things called Tim Tams with mm-hmm. her, which are like Australian version of penguins, which are a little better actually, but don't tell anyone. Oh wait, I'm, on, <laughs> I'm being recorded. Anyway, they're really good. And she, um, she taught me this thing called a Tim Tam Slam, where you take the bar, you unwrap it, and then you bite the opposite corners, just a little mm-hmm. nibble on each end. And then you take your cup of tea and you suck it like through a straw. And it turns the Tim Tam into like a molten, freshly baked brownie, basically. And I thought, oh, that's so much like a penguin bar. And so I tried it with penguin bars. And does and it, it work? So works. It works. <gasps> so it you works. can turn your sort of boring little crackery penguin bar into a molten brownie. Wow. Like it's freshly baked and gooey. So I, definitely Tim Tam slam with a penguin bar. 
I have, I've actually seen, I think I remember seeing, was it Natalie Imbruglio, who's Australian, demonstrating that on a, on a chat show about how you can do it. Oh. Now, see, I remember these when I was a kid and also love them. And they feel, I don't know if it's just getting older. <laughs> you know, when you're a child, you remember things being larger. But I'm thinking penguins used to be a little bit bigger than that. And also got a little fact about a penguin. I had no idea after years of, of eating penguin bars that on the back of the wrapper typically has a joke. A joke, you know yes, that? it was a joke. You know what, it was my, actually my first kind of encounter with Britain was the penguin <laughs> bar because I, my sister and I, we came with my parents to visit my auntie and uncle in Glasgow and we stayed with her and she had penguin bars and I was eight and my sister was six and I was kind of old enough to be traveling and appreciating stuff. But my sister was like, all she wanted was familiar things. So she liked my aunt's house and she liked going to the local Safeway in Netherly and buying penguin bars. And she just obsessed over penguin bars the whole trip. And my mom actually saved one of the penguin bars and she, my sister wouldn't let anyone touch it. And it was in the freezer for like 20 years. <laughs> we had that penguin bar in there. It was this memory of her trip when she was six. <laughs> It's funny how you remember things like that, though, and they become so they're not childish memories. They become like really important. So I'm just you can hear that rustling. I'm just oh. any excuse to open a penguin bar. Um, <laughs> so this one, it says, What's on the the back, joke? Uh, why are penguins shops so busy? Oh, I can't. Oh, what is it? Because the fish fill it. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> okay. Now, now I've got to read another one. Do you know, honestly, in all these years, I had no idea that this was a thing on penguins that they had jokes on them. So, oh, your life is so much richer now. I had no idea. I was like discovering the thinking. This is incredible. What's a penguin's favorite dog? Uh, oh, I'm on the spot here. What a is it? Nishon Freeze. Oh, man. I've never actually. I think it's supposed to be a. <laughs> I don't even know. That's that's not a great one. Okay, let's do one more here. Oh, why don't penguins like rock music? Look, Mark, he's Mark's eating a penguin already. Do you know this one? Yeah, do. <laughs> why don't penguins? Because they only like soul. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, they're painful. <laughs> they are terrible. Yeah, but this is an added dimension to a snack that I didn't know. And I think maybe later on. So basically, what you do is you chew the top off the two that, and you just yeah, have just a the corners like kitty corner. Right, you have to put, suck it through, but it's quite messy sometimes. Like if you're if you hold it too long, the whole penguin the, bar will fall into the tea yes. and crumble. Yeah, I but think, that also tastes okay. Just don't tell anyone that you like that because they'll think it, you're gross. <laughs> it's really funny because you're saying about. Um, how you remember, you know, like eating a penguin when you were younger and how it made such an impact on you. I remember the same thing about bazooka bubblegum. Oh yeah. It had the jokes too. It had the jokes and also yeah. it, had the, it had the miniature comic in it, like the tiny yes. comic that you, and I would, because the bazooka bubblegum itself was a bit tricky to it, chew. It was hard. It was, it was yeah, it was, it was like a little brick. But the thing that was fun about it was unwrapping it and seeing the tiny little miniature comic. <laughs> 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 These things have shaped oh. our lives, haven't they? Why don't tunics have, have jokes and, and comics in them? I don't know. Look, I actually happen to have like a, some tunics there. And it's really funny because I only started putting these in, in the... They've got like a kind of vintage feel about them, don't yeah, they? The wrappers really don't change at all. I think there'll be an uproar if they change the packaging. I don't know. It's just that thing. Tunics seem to have kept to the same size as they were before as well. They haven't reduced. Oh. But penguins, I'm going to say, this penguin feels a lot smaller. But there you go. 
Oh, anyway, no. <laughs> just could be just because we're getting older. That's all. Um, also, I'm going to ask you really quickly. I know that you've done this in the past. Obviously, this is just soft drinks, but I've seen you going out and you were doing a thing where you were just tasting and buying unusual canned drinks, anything sort of, you know, soft drink that you hadn't tried before. And so, oh, that was the yeah, it was hashtag mystery drink. And I was street drink, yeah, obviously yeah. not. Yeah, my studio was in Deptford and it had a lot of kind of different um, shops from different parts of the world all, all down the high street. And so, so many things I'd never seen before. And I love trying new things. And it, my sister and I are kind of like that. Like, even if something's horrible, like I'll taste it and I'll go, ooh, this is gross. And she'll say, oh, let me try just to see like how gross it is because we want to know like what dimension of gross and expand our vocabulary of disgustingness. So um, some of the drinks were actually really good, like sorrel drink and um, that was lovely. And some of the sort of Asian um, basil seeds that look like like frog eggs. That's kind of oh, nice. Okay. Um, but then that there feels- were some others. Some, others that, some of the Jamaican ones, there was one called Irish Moss that smelled like like a garden center, like the actual moss, oh. like PD stuff. And it came out gloppy and maybe it was off or something, but that was not so good. And another <laughs> made of, oh, I forget what it's called. It's um, made of tree bark and it's a Caribbean thing. And yeah, it was really bitter. And I thought, oh, and apparently even and- within like Jamaican community, it's quite a, an acquired taste. An acquired taste, yes. <laughs> well, thank you very much for sharing with us your snack of choice. I said Mark's particularly happy about that. I feel like we've learned something. I definitely have learned something today. Thank you for that. So this brings us to the section of the podcast where I'm going to ask Sarah, have you got a tremendous tale that you'd like to share with us? Tremendous tales. Off you go, Sarah. What is your tremendous tale? I was trying to think of something funny because whenever I'm hanging out with my friend Philip Reeve, we do books together and everything sets me off on a story. And he's like, you tell so many stories. (laughs) And I couldn't think of anything. Actually, there's one that's kind of... um, not exactly sad, but kind of poignant that I poignant, thought of. Okay. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's when I was little, I was convinced that I could breathe underwater. Hello, we're just interrupting here to say that humans cannot breathe underwater. So please do not try breathing underwater. Thank you. And um, I could swim for ages underwater without coming up for breath. And I used to like go right down to the bottom of the swimming pool and I'd just sit there. And I was really happy down there and I'd just be thinking. And um, Your parents par- freaking out. Well, nobody seemed to. I was like breathing normally. I thought I could, I could like breathe in and out. And I was quite happy down there for ages. And um, it was really safe and calm. And I loved it. And when I was six, my mom took me to the pool for like paddling and stuff. But it was closed because the grown up kids or the teenagers were having swim team practice. And so she just said, oh, well, go, go in. Just you're a good swimmer. Go swim with them. And so I was like this six year old swimming with, you know, 16 year olds in a pool trying to keep up with them and laps. And so I actually got to be a really good swimmer and I used to like to go out in the sea and sort of, I love to kind of go under the waves and look up at the sky and just like Hence the mermaid, hence wanting to be yeah. a mermaid, right? And the, the weird <clears throat> thing is, is that I can never remember actually making it up, knowing that I was making it up. All I can remember is one day I went, when I was a little older, I went down the pool and I got, went underwater and suddenly I couldn't breathe underwater anymore. And I was just really sad. And I thought, oh. It's like that part of my childhood is gone now. I can't breathe. But I don't, still don't remember making it up. So rationally, I know that I probably, you know, I was, must have been imagining it. But there's a tiny part of me that kind of still thinks, like, maybe I could breathe underwater. I mean, no, if, no, no, surely not. But it's just, it, it kind of haunts me. And I remember I was telling my friend Philip about that, Philip Reeve. And um, I think it kind of touched him because... He wrote this book called Utterly Dark in the Face of the Deep. And it's about this girl who can breathe underwater. And like, it's not about me. It's a totally different story. But 
I kind of feel like it's my book. Like I have, yeah, well, it kind of describes a little bit what it feels like and um, kind of like what it's being like, like a water baby or something. I don't know. It, I really, I, 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 that's a good thing. I really like being in a book. And even if it's not actually about me, it's, it spoke to me. I should be dark in the face of the deep. But having those sort of thoughts about, you know, thinking that you can breathe underwater. It's a bit like when you wake up, when you've had a flying dream. And just mm. for a few seconds when you wake up, you really think that you can fly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? and, then you, and then it suddenly dawns on you and go like oh no it's just a dream isn't it no I'm not going to be able to do that so it's the same sort of thing I remember watching Splash you know like oh, and yeah. um, they get to breathe underwater and you think oh, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh so, so no I totally get that oh that's so nice so it's not about you but it's definitely spot did you ask him about it did you ask say with a well, I think he sort of get, he gives me a little credit in the back and stuff. And it's just, I think he just liked the idea of being able to breathe underwater. And the, the girl, she puts her face in a tide pool and she realizes she can, she can breathe just fine that way. Wow. And that's kind of the beginning of you discover more about her parentage and where she really came from and stuff. But isn't it, so. isn't it funny how something small like that or something, that, a conversation that you have would spark off a whole mm. idea for a story? And well, I think world. we do that. I think like all, like I remember um, Candy Gourley, she was writing this book called Tall, Tall Story. And we were sharing a hotel room in Bologna together for the Bologna Book Fair. Mm-hmm. And I, I was exhausted after a day of fair. So I went straight to sleep. And she was, I woke up at like three in the morning and she was sitting there typing on her novel in bed like, <laughs> like Candy, what are you doing? And she said, oh, I'm so glad you're awake because you sleep so quietly. Like, like everyone, all my family, they snuffle and snore and, you know, gr- you know, do all that stuff. And, and you just lie there like you're dead. So I kept like putting my finger under your nose to check that you were actually breathing. And that made it into her book that happens to her character. And I was like, oh my gosh, Candy, that's me. And she's like, yep. <laughs> that's that's useful, that. isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm exactly. Sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure you put your family in your books. Like it just happens. <laughs> it does. Yeah. And also that's, that is one of my tips that I say to kids when I go and do events is like, you know, try and keep a notebook if something funny happens or you find it's your name or something like that, because you just forget <laughs> stuff, don't you? You really forget things. And actually, if you don't write it down or just have something that reminds you about it, something really good like that will, will kind of disappear. Oh no, we yeah. love that. We love your <laughs> tremendous tale. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Sarah. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so this is the part where we want you, the listener, to join in with our no expense spared game that's called. This has no relevance to anything that we've been talking about. It's just a sound. So over to you, Mark. What are we listening to? (laughs) Any ideas? That sounds like a balloon with like the, when you're pulling on the edges of the, the opening and it like makes you can make sort of a little balloon clarinet it, with it. It does, doesn't it? What else could it sound like? Go play it again. Or maybe blowing on the edge of a paper, like when you kind of put the paper next to your mouth and blow. It also sounds like some sort of weird nose blowing as well. <laughs> yeah. Or that thing with grass. You know, when you put the grass between your thumbs and, um, and blow like it's a like an instrument. Like you can basically turn it into a reed, your, your piece of grass. Is on, that what it one, is? Let's have one more listen. Go on, let's have one. That last bit is soft, though. That makes me think it's the balloon. Okay, do you want to share with us then? That is an otter. It's an really? otter? Really? Yeah. Are you serious? I'm not very happy otter. Oh, is that a cross otter? Yeah, oh, my goodness. Cross. Let's have another listen. Now we know it's a cross otter. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow. 
I've met otters before and they've never made that noise. <laughs> well, you've obviously never made them cross, Sarah. That's what it is. They've no, obviously been very pleased to meet you and not. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's really something, isn't it? And one more time. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> it's like the crescendo at the end. I know, bears no relevance to anything, but there you go. So that was a very cross otter. And actually, I, the things that you were suggesting probably sounded more like what it really could have been, especially the balloon. I dare everyone listening to make that sound right now and <laughs> annoy everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. That was What's That Sound? And I hope you played along at home as well. Um, so this is the part of the podcast where we like to ask our guests what a tremendous fail is. And it could be something that uh, has worked out or it could be something that just is a fail and you learned from before tremendous fail sarah what would you like Ooh. to share with us oh so much everything is fail <laughs> i fail every five seconds <laughs> but it's all good um i think one of my fails like from when i was a kid was i didn't understand that much about privacy it's like we had <laughs> we had we had this house with absolutely massive windows and like you could just see everything going on in our house and I was just grew up that way so I was used to it so I just like I was right in the front of the house and I'd be changing clothes like right in front of the window and as I got older I realized like that's not probably a good idea so like the postman would come by and I'd have to like hit the floor <laughs> so he couldn't see me so a lot of the times I was like hitting the floor because I forgot to shut the curtains and then when I was older um I remember I was writing a paper one night and I had the curtains open and I was typing away. And then the next morning we got up and realized that my sister's classmates had like teepeed our entire backyard. So they put toilet paper all over the backyard oh. in every possible place. And the thing was, they would have done it right behind me sitting there and they would have seen me like behind. And I was so embarrassed to think I was probably sitting there picking my nose while they're all like, like hanging toilet paper. That was a big thing in my childhood in Seattle, like people pranking each other. They used to come and stick plastic forks in your lawn or like spaghetti, because if you stick spaghetti in the lawn and then it rains, it um, it's really hard to get out and you just have like random spaghetti all over your lawn. Like weird things like that. That's so. Is that where the sort of trick or treat thing? No, no, they're not connected. It's just like when you're bored and you're trying to decide what to do, you think, oh, let's go to, let's go to our friend's house and put spaghetti, spaghetti in their the lawn. lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Or wrap their house in toilet paper. It's so dumb. I, I can remember, um, I think I must, I must have been sort of teenager. Obviously, when it gets dark outside, you can see your reflection and you forget mm -hmm. that people can see in, right? Oh, yeah. And so I'd have uh, some sort of, you know, I'd be listening to my records and that. And then you'd get up and do a dance, you know. So I, had to, I, was, <laughs> I was doing some dance moves, you know, <laughs> put the record on, just like really, you know, Saturday Night Fever or something like that. <laughs> And then I realised that my sister and her then boyfriend were just laughing at me from the other side. And they'd spent oh, yeah. ages watching me. Like I'd obviously been going through the moves with really being serious and they were having a right <laughs> old laugh at me. So, like, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, they ended up sort of throwing little stones at the window just and I was like, oh no, obviously people can see me. <laughs> stop, Liz, stop. Yeah, it's not a good look, no. <laughs> Excellent. So that was your <laughs> tremendous fail. Thank you for sharing yeah, that, Sarah. I think failing, failing is good. I mean, I give I actually yes. did a, te a TEDx talk once about like failing and how that can help your like what you do. And um, I think actually you can learn just as much from bad things as from good things because people, a lot of teachers are like, you know, you need to read all these really quality books so that you can learn how to write like the masters. And actually, I find sometimes when I read a book that's kind of not very well written, I think it's actually more inspiring in a way because I think I could at least I could do better than that. <laughs> and that's actually really inspiring. Or like I do this thing called the co a comic jam with my friends where we do a comic and I'll do one. We'll choose a theme and a length, like 24 panels, and I'll do one comic, one panel 
and draw it. And then I'll pass it to them and they'll do the next one. And then I'll do the next one. And we, we won't discuss where the story is going to go. We just watch it. And it's so good because you can see how another person's brain tackles a problem. So not just your own way of telling a story, but like, you know, if I hand a, a dinosaur about to fall off a cliff to you, you might have, instead of them falling and splatting, you might have them fly, you know, sprout wings and fly away or yeah. something completely different happen. And that's really useful to see that. And a lot of times when, when I do those in schools and stuff, the kids, they get really upset because they don't like the way that their story was taken by the other kids. Oh. And I, sometimes they love it. Sometimes they love it. Sometimes it's hilarious and everyone's crying with laughter. But other times they're like, no. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> that's actually just as useful because when you say, no, I wouldn't have done it that way. I would have done this. Suddenly you had an idea that you never had before. Yeah. So unless they had done something you didn't like, you wouldn't have the idea of what you would like. So if, if we hadn't tried the exercise, that story never would have existed in the first place. So actually, even though it wasn't what you wanted, it sparks off an idea for what you could do. That's exactly right. And, it's, you know, I always say as well, it, it, you should, whatever your ideas are, even if they don't work out exactly how you're expecting them to, you know, you can mm. always put them, you park them, you know, it might not work for one project that you're doing, but you put them to one side and you might bring them back out another mm. time, like another character or something like that. And it's more important just to be doing creative things. You know, it can take time, you know, yeah. and you might have been storing up the ideas and things for a long time and it hasn't worked out, but actually, you know, you redo things, you try new things. And like I said, if it doesn't work out or exactly like you said, you might get an idea that you you wouldn't have done unless something had failed. Absolutely. So that's something that's really important. I'm sure those events are really inspiring for kids to do. And also like drawing badly can make you come up with new ways of drawing you hadn't thought of. So sometimes I'll try to draw with my left hand just because it's a slightly different way for my brain to work. And I might do like a mouth that's bizarre, but actually I think, oh yeah, I could do that. That's a good way to draw it. And so the mistakes and badly loose, you know, drawings just almost intentionally draw badly sometimes. They draw as bad as you draw a horse that is the ugliest horse ever drawn. And that's kind of a fun <laughs> challenge to draw like the worst horse ever. And you might actually like it more than your really, really carefully drawn horse because it looks ridiculous and it makes you laugh. So, yeah. yeah. Draw, I'm going to try that drawings. now. Now you're inspiring me now. I'm thinking that's <laughs> such a good idea. Like just try and mind you, <laughs> I think it is that thing, isn't it? It's being presented with a blank piece of paper. You get children particularly mm. get really sort of worried about wanting to make those marks on the paper that are the finished thing. And actually none of us do that, do we? We always, you know, do lots and lots of sketches and, you know, cut things up and try new things. And that's how you get to the final piece of artwork. Yeah. But drawing badly, that's good. <laughs> yeah, we do this thing on internet, um, Twitter called the uh, Studio Tea Break, and we set challenges four times a week. And it really helps people get over that blank paper because we start with like a shape for the shape challenge. And they have to turn the shape into something. So there's already something there or a portrait challenge where you take a famous old portrait and either redraw it just to learn the technique or sort of caricature it or take it off in a new direction or something. But it's nice to have something you work from instead of just having to always sit there in a blank room with a blank piece of paper coming up with a new idea. Something else can spark it, what you're doing. We've almost that's jumped to the top tips. We're going to be including. Oh, sorry, yeah. No, this <laughs> is brilliant. Tips. That's, that's perfect. I mean, actually, you know, uh, tremendous top tips you've you've covered all those already because I was sort of thinking you know that that's just a, a brilliant way to start off the ideas rolling isn't it it's, mm. it's just like when you're thinking about a story or something you think oh what am I going to write about and I always say to kids that everybody's got things that happen in their lives that they probably don't even think would make a story but actually when you 
start the ball rolling, when you start thinking about things, it quite often leads to other other ideas. You know, even yeah. if they're do, really simple. Do you have that thing that where you sit down some mornings and you just can't do anything? What do you do when that happens? Or do you just always able just, to put something down? Just do, sometimes you just have to work through it. Even if you know you're going to have a bad day, you just have mm-hmm. to keep going. Or you get up and you just do something completely different. Like, you know, you go and look at a magazine or read a book or the times when you are just browsing, when you're not actually thinking about things are the times when sometimes ideas can pop into your head or you might just see something that sparks off an idea. If you possibly can, try not to get too worked up, you know, Mm. (laughs) because you get your best ideas when you're actually not feeling under stress, you know. I mean, a deadline does help. (laughs) I did did that, but my grumpy corn book was about that because we had Grumpy Corn has, has the perfect studio set up. You know, he has his gorgeous cabin in the middle of the sea and on stilts and he's got um, his perfect notebook and fluffy pen and moonberry tea and everything. And because it's almost so perfect, he freezes up. And I kind of like that. It's like, you know, that happens to people. It's not about having a perfect setting. It's just, just get on with it. It's like when, you know, when people ask you, what's your most embarrassing moment? People love that stuff. So if you have an embarrassing moment, it's actually more fun than if, if, you know, save that. Write it down, why the embarrassing moment. Because if you forget it, you'll feel like, oh, that was so funny. Why didn't I remember that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that is a really good, tremendous top tip. Um, and also, I'm just going to add this in here as well. Before I ask you about recommending a book, I'd like to personally thank you for all the campaigning that you've done, helping illustrators to get recognised on the charts, give, being given equal billing along with writers, especially on the picture books and the covers. So Sarah started a hashtag called Pictures Mean Business. And so how's that going, Sarah? And what difference do you think it's made? I think it's good because I think it was like a really positive spin that I was trying to put on it because for decades I've talked to older illustrators and they said, oh, good luck with that. You know, nobody cares about illustrators. They're not going to credit us. They might say it for like a day, but then they'll forget. And, um, And I found that if you kind of said instead of like, oh, poor us illustrators not getting credited, if you turned it around and said, guess what? You know, if you credit illustrators, everyone wins. You get more followers if you credit them on the, you know, because they'll tweet to their followers. You get more, um, if a teacher talks about the artist as well as the writer, then um, children who are inspired more by pictures will get more into the book. They'll have a hero they can look to. They can look up their website and find more of their artwork. Um, Mark and I are nodding. Yes, that's so true. It actually, it makes sense kind of for inspiration. It makes sense for kind of media reach. It makes sense for book sales because the books are more easy. You know, say this Liz Pichon wins an award and for an illustrated book and somebody looks up Liz Pichon and none of your books that you're illustrated come up, mm. then, then, you know, they've lost book sales. So it's like, you know, it so makes sense to put the illustrator right at the heart of everything about the book in schools, when you're reading to your kids, you know, say, oh, this book was written by this person and illustrated by this person. Especially on picture maybe books. It was, yeah, like, well, like with Philip, when Philip Reeve and I do books, he helps yeah. me with the pictures and I help him with the stories. So hmm. it's not always as clear cut as that. But if there's two names on the book cover or even more, like pay attention to all the names, not just the first name, because, you know, you might find just as much inspiration on that person's website or the other books they've done. And, and so, it's also yeah, people, credit illustrators by name. People get used to, you recognise, you know, like you recognise a writer's book by the illustrator sometimes. You get yeah, to used to, exactly. you recognise the style and you think, oh, that's a, a Jackie Wilson book with Nick Sharrett's work on it. And the same with your books as well, like with very distinctive illustrations. So it really does make a difference, doesn't it? And also on the charts well, also, as well. You've done that really yeah. great thing that illustrators and how we're now getting a 
our own chart and Yay. an award. <laughs> I know brilliant. before there was there was no such thing as a best selling illustrator in terms of like records because they just they didn't count it. And it was mm. like guys, like when when pre literate when kids who don't know how to read yet look at a bookshelf and they see the Gruffalo, it's not that they're saying, Oh, Julie Donaldson, they're seeing Axel Scheffler's work. Yeah. And so that is more important, especially when you get down, you know, in picture books where it's all about the pictures. So, so yeah. well, well done. Thank you very much. Sarah. I know there's lots of illustrators and people that like to pat you on the back and say, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray. Thank you. Thank you. So talking about books, have you got a tremendous book that you'd like to recommend? But I just wondered if there was a book that you particularly wanted to talk about that you'd like our listeners to hear about something from your childhood or something you're reading at the moment. So what's your tremendous uh, book? When I was a kid, we had these amazing newspapers. The Seattle Times had these full color comics in the Sunday, Sunday edition and then black and white in the week. And every day um, we had this comic called Calvin and Hobbes by Bill Watterson. And it's about this little boy who has this tiger. And when it's when adults are around, it just looks like a toy tiger. But when they go away, it turns into this big real tiger and they have amazing adventures. And Bill Watterson is so good at drawing. Like he can do Calvin about to eat like a plate of spinach and it turns into some like vomitous alien mass <laughs> and, and, and Calvin's expressions and then his mother's expressions. And he can draw like better than anyone in the world, I swear. And his combination of drawing and storytelling, like you can be five and find those comics funny, or you can be a hundred and they're still funny and interesting and deep and so many levels. So yeah, I'd say any book that has collections of Calvin and Hobbes comics, that would be my number one tips. I'm going to go and look at those. I'm Maybe I might recognise the style, but I don't recognise the name. Look, there you go. See? Oh, he's genius. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. No, I'm definitely going to check those out. Thank you so much. That's a really You're welcome. I, that's brilliant. Really good choice. Okay, so Sarah, this is your chance now to talk about anything, any project, anything that you've got going on at the moment, and you have your books, and we call this part... Shameless plug well i guess it's the kevin books because i've been doing these roly-poly flying pony books with philip reeve and he's like one of my best friends and we come up with so many ideas together and we're really really fueled by biscuits and kevin loves to eat biscuits so it's this quite large pony and you his wings are tiny and you wouldn't think they would be able to work and make him fly but he's fine he's really happy he's this great <laughs> pony that goes around it's, it was fun because there's lots of pictures i drew so many pictures in it and philip helped me with the kind of the pencil roughs for them and I helped him with some of the story stuff. It's just so fun working with a friend because when you when you sort of slave away in your office over a book for somebody you don't know, it's it's okay. But like, there's no kind of connection there. Mm-hmm. And when it's somebody you can say, oh my gosh, I, I know the island wasn't supposed to have anything on it, but I accidentally put a big narwhal over the top. Is that okay? And he'll be like, oh yeah, we'll just write it in. It's fine. Oh, I like it better. And so when you can have that flexibility. How did you start working with Philip then? Because the Kevin books aren't your first. You've done quite a few books of with Philip, haven't you? And Philip yeah. writes all the Mortal Engines books and various other, like, completely yeah, with, different books, doesn't he? Yeah, his Mortal Engines is kind of his big famous one. And he won the Carnegie for Here Lies Arthur, which is um, an Arthurian one, which is really funny because I'm going to help him make, um, I've made help to make props for a film he's going to shoot about, wow. like, the King Arthur kind of legend. So that's why I've been painting these wooden shields. Oh, okay. Oh. And my parents are coming to stay and they're going to help us to, like, we're going to have, it's a small budget film. He's just doing it himself with his wife, Sarah Reeve. Yeah. And my, my, my mom and dad are coming. They're, they're here now. And oh my God, your mom and dad are adorable. 
Your mum and dad are adorable. They really are. Yeah. So my mum's going to help me make lots of cakes for the actors and sandwiches. And Stuart's going to hold the boom pole with like the sound thing with the fluffy thing on it on the tip. And yeah, I've been making these shields to hang on a tree. They had to look kind of aged, like mm-hmm. they've been there for a while. And I had so much fun with that. Oh, and this isn't even a plug. So, you know, like they're not trying to sell this film or anything. It's just going to be totally <laughs> no, fun. No, I want it. You're selling it. This is like, this sounds like it's going to be fun. <laughs> but also, I think there's that thing of like, when you try something just for fun, often it can be your best work. So like in lockdown, I, I was supposed to go to Nepal to do a project and it didn't work out because of COVID. So yeah. I had this book slot open and I thought, well, why don't I just paint pictures and see if I can sell them? So I started painting all these pictures of, um, I had like model ships that I bought at Deptford Market. And I thought, well, nobody just wants a picture of a ship. I'll put little mice on them because that's kind of funny. Um, so I had all these pictures of mice riding these sh- all sorts them. of ships and submarines. And they sold like crazy. It was so fun. I'd put it up on the internet. It'd be gone in like five minutes. Wow. And um, I started doing cards. And eventually I got really into this world of these nautical mice. And at the end of lockdown, um, everyone was like, you have to do this as a book. And I was like, no, no, no. This is just for fun. I'm enjoying this too much. <laughs> I don't want to do a book. (laughs) And then um, the publishers were like, come on, let's do a book. And everyone was excited. And I thought, yeah, but I really don't want to focus on the pictures. I don't want to be plugging out like book after book. So I said, Philip, can you help me with this series? Could you come come along and um, help me with the words so I can get on with the pictures? Because they're going to be really like every single page has watercolor paintings. Yeah, they're very intricate, aren't they? Yeah, it'll take too long if I have to do everything. So um, he's come in with me to do these books. And that's what we're working on now. Oh, wow. um, there's one coming out next March and they're going to be called Adventure Mice. So wow, that's That's, that's my next big project. I mean, that's literally the ideal thing, isn't it? You do something for fun like that. You really get yeah. into it and then it slowly develops into it. You get the other ideas for the books and and because you, you've done uh, all the Pugs of the Frozen North as well. Those yeah. are books that you did with, with Philip where you, again, lots of pugs, lots yeah, of that, dogs. That, that was fun. <laughs> and that was based on a stupid idea. I think I was talking actually with Alex T. Smith. I was just making a joke about, wouldn't it be funny to have, um, like, you know, there's this race called the Iditarod in Alaska with huskies and stuff yeah. in the race. And I thought, what if you had really stupid little dogs that like would never be able to run a race? And <laughs> how about chihuahuas? So I thought, how about chihuahuas of the Frozen North? And then we talked it over with Philip and our editor and she's like, you know, nobody can read the word chihuahua. Like, <laughs> I even remember not being able to read the word. It's like chihuahua. It's a tricky <laughs> so one. we said, let's do pugs. Pugs is good. And you can also would not be an obvious choice for a Iditarod. And also when you, when you got to the events, I remember you being surrounded by little pugs. <gasps> we got well. to have a pug walk. It was so cool. We had like 15 pugs from this pub club. And we all, it was like both <laughs> Philip and I, we were all dressed up in our kind of yellow and white, um, fake polar gear i saw and i've got a photograph of you two jumpers <laughs> i remember so fun i remember saying you look like had a sort of slight eurovision song contest look yeah about them because of frozen north it was lovely no it's brilliant and there was this one pug called benny bean that like fell asleep on my arm while i was signing books Aww. and he was so cute and i was i, I actually cried when he had to go away because i wanted to keep him <laughs> <laughs> i forgot to say i've got oh, a book yes. come out today oh, <laughs> i had a book launch today oh it's called the faber book of bedtime stories and it's got 17 stories by different each one's by a different writer but i did all the pictures and it took forever <laughs> goodness me that sounds like a, a labor of love there bedtime stories fabulous so we'll put that in as well sarah thank you so much for taking part on tremendous tales i've absolutely loved listening to all your tremendous tales your tremendous fails all your stories about your work i know 
know that anyone's listening is going to find it really fascinating and really interesting. And good luck with absolutely everything you're doing. I'm going to put up Sarah's website. We'll put up all the different books and the things that she's been talking about. So if you go on my website, which is lizpichon.com, you'll be able to find a link there and we'll make sure that everybody can look back and and find the books that Sarah's been talking about. But you've been an absolute joy and a pleasure to talk to. And I want everyone to go and check out all your wonderful books and your blog and everything else you do. So thank you very much, Sarah McIntyre. Oh, thank you so much, Liz and Mark. Thank you. enjoyed this podcast please do like and subscribe and I've been told that it really helps other people to find it and I would love as many children as possible to hear from these amazing creative people that I've talked to and to get inspired to pick up a pen a pencil get creative make up their own stories just like we've done so thanks very much for listening bye